0: Good morning. I hope that as we anticipate the death of our Lord on Good Friday and the resurrection on Resurrection Sunday, that you will be considering these things even as we approach those days. I hope this primer that we have written will be a helpful tool for you. The text in John chapter 13 begins the last few hours of Jesus with his disciples. And a lot of words will be used about the love of God for them, words which they do not yet understand. And so those last few hours begin with Jesus doing a demonstration of love, of of taking all of the words. You know how we can have these words and these ideas, and that we need to see them, we need to touch them, we need to feel them. That's exactly what Jesus does with the love of God in this foot washing, is he makes the love, his love, for his disciples, visible. Something that they can see, touch, and feel. I'd like to direct your attention to how this story begins that is very significant, or actually rather how it does not begin. This foot-washing story is not given as an example, as simply a moral lesson on, on how to be humble. In other words, Jesus isn't at the Dinner, reclining with the disciples, and he stands up and says, <laughs> "Excuse me, gentlemen. Uh, you're rather a foolish lot, and there's still quite a bit of pride in you. And and you'll be my representatives on this earth. And so let me show you how to be humble. Let me show you a trick to make people think that you are just the most humble people on earth. That's not how the story." Begins, it begins by Jesus loving his disciples. Notice these words. When Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The foot washing is a demonstration of the love of God for them. Yes, it will end with a, a, a call and a commission to walk humbly. But that humility comes from the power of grasping the depth of the love of God for them that would wash them clean. The story is a declaration of the love of God for his people. It's always the pattern in scripture, before exhortation, always declaration, before we we do what God calls us to do. We hear what God has to say about us and for us. It is a declaration of the love of God for people who need cleansing. And the foot washing is a gesture, it's a symbolic act by Jesus to show how he would love them on the cross By washing them clean. Something that they don't yet understand as this meal begins. But it is a demonstration of what he would do on the cross. To wash them clean. And not just their feet. But all that defiles them. Here's the main point that I would like to get across from the story this morning. And it has to do with the love of God. We should never need or demand from God. Never demand more love from God or demand more proof of God's love. We might not put it like that, Lord, do this or else, but the subtle ways, Lord, you know, if, if you love me, could you, you know, could you do this? <laughs> if, if I could have a pill everywhere I went as a pastor and say, swallow this, it would be an enormous pill, the love of God. But we do, we feel like sometimes we need or demand from God something more. We will never ever receive a greater demonstration of the love of God for us than is found in being cleansed by Jesus. (laughs) Submitting to the love of God by hearing him say, I have washed you, I have made you clean. 1 John John 3.16 says, how do we know that God loves us? because Jesus died for us. Cleansing us, washing us. You know, it's, it's easier to talk about things than it is to do them, isn't it? Men are certainly like that. Boy, we've got a lot of bravado. You get a group of men together and boy, can they ever talk. Maybe ladies are like that too. I don't often sit around in a group of ladies, but maybe they talk too about all of the things that they can do. And sometimes it's. A lot of times it's easier to talk about things than it is to actually do them. I I have all this wood laying around in my yard and I talk about all the things I'm going to do with it, all the things I'm going to build with it. The reality is, is that I don't know how to do it. And this is true of the love of God. It's easier to talk about the love of God. We talk a lot about the love of God. We talk about it as an idea, but it's easier to talk about the love of God than it is to receive it and to accept it. And so Jesus here makes the love of God a physical thing. He washes their feet. The creator of the universe, the one who spoke those feet into existence in all of their filth and all of their dirtiness, he he rises at the table and he takes the place of a servant and he washes their feet. He makes the love of God a physical thing as it would become visible on the cross. But they do not know the cross yet. They have not yet seen the cross. And he makes the love of God here physical in this anticipation of the cross and forces them to look at it. Forces them to accept it, particularly Peter. We'll see him in Peter, <laughs> no, Lord, no. He forces them to submit to it, to touch it, to see it, to, to, to feel it. And he makes the love visible for them just like he would on the cross, but they don't yet understand it and actually they don't like it. They're still focused on position. They're still focused on power. I'm going to work through three words that I think summarize the meaning of the text. Those three words are calling, objection, and command or commission calling, objection, and command. The first of all is a calling embrace. Listen to these words from verse 3. Jesus, knowing. He knew something. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and he was going back to God, rose from supper laid aside his garments, take a towel, and tied it around his waist. The reason that Jesus served and could serve and humble himself at the table and serve his disciples is because of the calling that he had from the Father. I hope you can understand that. The reason that there's something going on between Jesus and his disciples is that there's something going on between Jesus and the Father. And the reason that Jesus could humble himself as the master and take the form of a servant, as Philippians chapter 2 talks about, take the form of a servant and wash these stinky, betraying, proud feet because he was embracing the calling and the love of his Father. It had more to do with his setting his eyes on his Father than it did setting his eyes on something that he could see inside of his disciples. He served from a place of power, That power was his calling. It was secure. It was an identity that that Jesus embraced. And he he served from that place of power. He didn't serve from a a place of weakness. That's what the disciples were. They were were weakness and they wanted power. (laughs) But until they grasp the power of the love of God for them to wash them, they'll never have the capacity to serve. See, Jesus was not trying to create his identity by serving. That's what we do. We try to create an identity by serving. Look at me. Rather, he served because his identity was already secure. It's a glorious thing. Jesus, knowing who he was, rose at the table, humbled himself, and washed. The reason there's something going on between Jesus and the disciples is there's something going on between Jesus and the Father. And the reason that there is ever anything going on between me and you and Jesus, us and Jesus, is because there's something going on between Jesus and the Father. And the beauty is that that will never change. What goes on between Jesus and the Father is secure. It will never change. That's why we are so secure in the love of Jesus for us. What a liberty that is for us. Do you know that Jesus' love for you is not dependent upon something that he can discover in you? That's what we do to each other. But that's not the way Jesus loves. Jesus loves you because the Father calls him to do so. And he loves you. He loves me by cleansing us. It is the embracing of his calling that allowed Jesus to do what he did. And it roots the love of God for us in something far greater than something that can be discovered in us. Jesus was the only one in the room who was actually truly free to serve. All the others had something to lose by serving. They could lose their dignity. They could, they could lose their their position, which they were arguing about on their way to get to this room. Jesus was the only one who was was truly free Imagine the stare down in the room. They all knew what was supposed to happen. It was, it was obvious that they had stinky, dirty feet. And we don't know why there was no servant in the room. Did Jesus prepared it that way or if it was an, an impromptu lesson. But for whatever reason, there was no servant in the room. But imagine the stare down amongst the disciples who had everything to lose still and we're still wanting power over one another imagine the eyes to one another who and then and then Jesus Jesus rises it says Jesus rises knowing who he was he was the only one in the room who was truly free to serve How could he do that? Where did he get his capacity for such humility? Well, he was not looking at the disciples and trying to discover in them a good enough reason to love them, he was looking at the Father to discover his reason for loving them. Those are two very, very different things. That's what we do. (laughs) That's what we do to one another. That's how we love one another. We look inside of one another to try to discover a good enough reason to love. But this isn't that kind of love. This isn't a human love. This is a divine love and a divine love that's based on a divine calling. That's exactly what would happen on the cross. And why this foot washing is an anticipation of the love of God on the cross. He was not trying to extract from the disciples his identity. <laughs> That's what we do. Did I say that already? Trying to e- extract something of, of how we want to be seen, how we want to be known by others' response from us. He did not need to be admired by them. His liberty came from the fact that he needed nothing from them. They needed everything from him and he gave them everything that they truly needed he loved them the story is a a declaration of the love of God but that love comes from the calling that Jesus received from the father it is a humbling thing that's why Peter objected that's the second word Peter says, no way. Not in your life. Ever But humbled in this way to receive love in a way that it can make you angry, actually. It, it's, it's humiliating to be loved in a tender way where all you can do is receive it. I remember a few months ago I... I had something on the bottom of my feet growing and I, I just ignored it. I wish it would go away until finally I, I could hardly walk and I said to my wife, I said, I, I, I can't see the bottom of my feet. Could you please take a look at it for me? But I didn't like it. For her to have to be the one that would, well, you know, <laughs> uh, stinky feet. This is far more profound than that, than just stinky feet. The vulnerability of a, of a full exposure of needing to be cleansed. And Peter says no. And his, his protest is a very natural reflex that humans have, all of us have it, to a love that is undeserved. And Peter does not yet understand Jesus' calling Jesus understood it. Jesus knew. But Peter doesn't understand it. The disciples don't understand it yet. That's why he washed their feet, to to show them, to make it visible to them, to to teach them, not a, a moral lesson on how to be humble so people think you're humble people, but to show them, to demonstrate to them what actually is going to be done for you on the cross. And then once they understood that, then they would have the capacity to be humble and are called to be humble. But Peter does does not yet understand. He doesn't understand how, how deeply he will be loved on the cross, although in a few hours he will understand just how much he will need a love that is undeserved. Imagine Peter's anguish. I'll do everything for you, Lord. I'll even die for you. Thanks, Peter. Actually, what you'll do for me is you'll deny me. You'll call down heaven and earth to swear that you've never seen me before. To save your hide. That's what you'll do for me. And Peter looks back on this. And he knows the depth by which he's loved. And the washing of him, of not just his feet, as he says, wash all of me. Making it clear that the action is indeed symbolic. But all that Peter can see now from a human perspective is that there's something very, very wrong with this picture, and he's right. But what is truly wrong was Peter's idea of how to belong to Jesus. It wasn't to be like Jesus. It was to be served by Jesus. See, before Peter could be humble with Jesus, He must be humbled before Jesus. Jesus isn't looking within Peter to discover a reason to love Peter, but Peter is. And what Peter is confronted with is a very uncomfortable truth. An uncomfortable truth. That's what the gospel is. an, An uncomfortable truth. That's a good book title, actually. You should write a book called Uncomfortable Truth. Send me the money for it it's an uncomfortable truth and this is what it is, is that the cleansing had to be submitted to. Peter's in this ridiculous situation where he's saying no to the master. And the master is saying, yes, Peter, you must submit to this. You must receive a love that you cannot earn. You must be cleansed of your filth, freely given as Jesus serves you, as seen by washing your feet, and will be known by hanging on the cross. If my imagination was writing the story or if your imagination was writing this story, there's probably something in your mind that you were thinking as the story was read. It's there. It's, Judas is mentioned more than once, the betraying one. And if our imagination wrote the story, that's probably where the story would go because imagine, well, what did, what did Judas do? Was there, was there any eye contact as Jesus came down the, the row of, of, of stinky feet and he got to betraying feet? What was it like? I wonder, our imaginations wonder what it would have been like to wash the feet of Judas, which, of course, is based upon, again, Jesus' calling. He wasn't looking in the disciples to discover the reason for which he did, particularly true in Judas. He was looking to his Father for the reason that what he did but our imagination isn't writing the story. The Holy Spirit is writing the story. And the Holy Spirit in writing the story determines that out of the 12, it is this one that we have the most to learn from Peter. It is here that we learn the greatest obstacle to divine love is not found in Judas. It's found in Peter. My children had a story book by Doctor Zeus. It was called Feet. That's uh, been running through my head. Uh, all kinds of feet: big feet, little feet, short feet, fat feet, small feet, big feet—all the feet we meet. You can wonder as Jesus came down the row: stinky feet, stinky feet, betraying feet, proud feet, proud feet and that's where he stopped. The greatest obstacle to divine love wasn't found in Judas. It was found in Peter and its pride. We want to be loved. We want love for us to be built on an admiration of us, but that's not how Jesus washes his disciples' feet not out of an admiration for them, but out of a love for his Father. And what Peter is called to, he's called to submit to a love, to an absolute surrender to a love, to swallow that pill of love, which you could never earn. Psalm 51 a couple of times uses the word cleansing, a significant anticipation of New Testament truth that is understood in David by the power of the Spirit to grasp the cleansing. And been reading I have been reading a short meditation by B.B. Warfield on the life of David recently, and it, it noted in 2 Samuel twelve, it appears how quickly David is just forgiven. And he says to Nathan, Nathan Nathan the prophet confronts David with his horrendous sins. And David says, I have sinned before God. And you know what Nathan says? Nathan says, God forgives you. (laughs) And B.B. Warfield says, you you almost want to stop in the story and say, hold on here a minute. Yes, the child dies, but doesn't it just seem far too simple to simply say, you're forgiven? And the penitent Psalms is where Warfield goes then to show the depth of David's anguish, particularly Psalm 32, where David says, my, my bones are, are rattling. I can't sleep at night. And we, we know later on, not in Samuel, but we know later on the, the depth of the anguish that David knew of his sin and how he had sinned before God. And then the, the freedom, the liberty that he grasped in being cleansed when he says, wash me, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. And cleanse me from my sin. It's a remarkable, the New Testament truth that is found in David's understanding of what would be accomplished in Christ. Of course, in eternity, that purpose was already in God's heart. Purge me with hyssop, he says, and I shall be clean. David simply had to receive it. (laughs) As did Peter, as do we. The third word is command. This is where it gets practical. It is a commissioning of sorts where Jesus says to them, If I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. And so, if Jesus' washing of their feet symbolizes how it is that we will become the church, this little group of people in this room, the, the proto-church, the church before there was a church, of Jesus doing things symbolically, what would be done for the church on the cross. But they didn't become the church by serving. They became the church By receiving. But in becoming the church, they serve. Jesus' washing shows how it is that they become the church. They're they're, they're washed of their sin. That's that's how we get our identity. That's how the church comes into existence. It's a a receiving of the love of God. God washes us of, of our sin. Now then, he tells them what it will look like To live as the church. But to live as the the church is not how we become the church. Don't get those two things mixed up. Don't think that we become the church by how we're called to live as the church. We, We become the church by receiving the love of God by faith freely. In all of our protestation being brought into the light where divine love shines out on us with all of our, our protest. And so we say, no, that's all I have. I must receive it. We submit to divine love. That's, that's how we become the church. But then we live as the church. The people who are are called, are also commissioned. The people who are washed are are commanded. And they will learn after the cross, after Pentecost, they will learn to humbly serve one another and love as they have been loved. Now that doesn't mean we create another ceremony of foot washing. That's what humans do. They create ceremonies. Well, I did it. Create hoops that we jump through. And there are ceremonies that that are commanded in the Scripture. The Lord's table is a ceremony. It's a ritual. And we're commanded to do it. That's how Jesus understood the meal in the upper room. You take this and you do this as often as you eat of it and drink of it. That's why we're baptized. That is something that is commanded in, in the Scriptures. But can you imagine if we reduced this story merely to a ceremony? That's not how the apostles understood it. That's not how the disciples understood their commissioning in the room. They never, ever again speak of it. There's never a description in Acts or in any of the epistles of them gathering to wash one another's feet as there is to eat the Lord's table and to be baptized. Is because it was symbolic. Jesus says, It's not about clean feet. It's about your whole being being washed, which would be accomplished on the cross. And so, can you imagine if we turned this into a ceremony? Would you come to church with stinky feet? We would have the most beautiful, perfectly clean, painted, tattooed, probably. Oh, look at that cute tattoo. That's so pretty feet in order for other people to wash them. And we would completely miss the point of what it's actually all about. The point is to be humbled before God, to receive his love, and then humbly serve one another. That's how the apostles understood it. Not to gather together and wash one another's feet, but for husbands and wives Make the love of God visible to one another. If you've sat in on any of my premarital counseling, you've heard me say these exact words. Your calling in life as an intimate married couple is to take the idea of the love of God and make it visible to your spouse. Parents and children, children need more than the idea of the love of God. Parents need the love of God made visible to them. Slaves and servants. Imagine the witness to a master when a servant is able to serve in the way that God calls us to serve. We too can love and serve people, not when we discover enough reason in those people to do so not because we're looking to secure our identity but because our identity is already secure in Christ is what gives us the power to humble ourselves and to serve one another to have that capacity that Jesus had if we come back together here in a few weeks We're going to use the word capacity a lot, but it's not about room capacity. We're going to need heart capacity. All of the different opinions, all of the different fears, all of the different things that trauma that people have been through that they don't even really fully understand yet until they get in a room again with people. And we're going to need capacity in our hearts to freely serve and, and love one another. But that servanthood comes from our identity in Christ instead of it being the way to our establish our identity. You know, we're, <laughs> we could be so corrupted, can't we, in these things? We know how wrong it is to compare how perfect we can be we know that's wrong. You don't go to church to compare yourself with how good you are. And so we compare ourselves to how humble we can be. Like Peter, you know, the, the game got changed on Peter, didn't it? He thought it was all about power. And then Jesus changes the game. He, he takes out a different, different game and starts playing at the game of humility. He says, oh, I can play that game too, Jesus. Look at how humble I am. You won't wash my feet. I'm as humble or more humble than you. And Jesus says, the game, Peter, is you need to be washed. That comparing is the same insecure pride. Who can be the most humble? That's why this story is not to be read simply as a moral lesson or a manual on how to be humble. It's a story to be read on how to receive the cleansing of God. And through his love cleansing us. And it puts us in the sanctuary. It puts us in the sanctuary to, to behold God, to see His beauty, His steadfast love. And it's having been in that place that then we can leave and go with liberty, with freedom, with capacity, the calling to serve God and to love one another. God, help us to do so. To his glory, not our own. Would you please pray with me? Almighty God, help us to comprehend the width, the breadth, the depth, the height of the love of God for us. Forgive us our protestations that are a weak covering of our pride. And to receive all of your love, not with license, but with power. Not the power to serve ourselves, but the power to serve others. And I pray that you would bear this fruit in your church. Again, for your glory, not our own. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.